In the morning, the goddess appeared to ask him what gift from the temple he would choose. Does anyone who takes the gold get to keep it? he asked. Does everyone who takes the sword end up a bandit? The goddess smiled. Everyone thinks he will be the exception. Morpos asked if he could have another day to think about it. Tomorrow at dawn, said the goddess, you must choose. The young man talked things over with the wolf all day and slept well that night. In the morning, when the goddess came and asked if he had made a decision, he said he had. Goddess, I must choose a gift from your temple. There is no must, said the goddess. I offer you a gift of your choice, and you may choose to decline. Morphos knew it was a foolish man who declined the gifts of the gods. Pick door number three! Hello, hallucinatory history teachers. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's July 12th, 2020. Today, we're wrapping up Chapter 5 and discussing Chapter 6, in which Sophos hears a story, our first myth of the book, and oh, it is good Woo! to get back to the myths. He defends a friend, gets beaten, goes swimming, builds a wall, eats a cake, and has an awkward run-in with his dad. So in Chapter 5, when Sophos starts having these cool dreams and meets Moira, we kind of get back into that epic poetry framing. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about how this is kind of Sophos' own Hercules hero journey. Sophos narrates when he's speaking of his tutor, she was like the goddess appearing as a mentor in an epic. It was her library, I was certain, and I a welcome guest. I want to go to this library. Where is my magical dream tutor? How can I get to the holy dream library? And so in this dream sequence, he reads Poer's History of the Brooks. And he and Moira talk about, is the king there a bad king? And Sophos narrates, The king was forever arriving on the scene too late to do anything but patch up a mess his own people had made, always trying to get them to work with instead of against one another. And Powers offered one reason after another why each attempt of the king's failed to make a lasting peace. Powers insisted that none of it was the king's fault, but Powers shows signs of fudging his historical facts in order to get his arguments to hold water. And I say that if a king can't make his people behave, then yes, he is a bad king. Well, at least he stayed, Moira says. Have you seen that Tumblr post where someone says, like, yeah, okay, the god Genides is pretty annoying to Jen, but, well, at least he stayed was a pretty raw line from Moira to dish out to Sophos upon meeting him. (laughs) Yeah, what is <laughs> what kind of situation are you in when the gods are being passive aggressive to you? Like there it's one thing if they're like raining down misfortune, but <laughs> <laughs> mildly passive aggressively scolding him in his dreams for being a washout. Yeah. This one king has such a resemblance to how Sophos appears at the end but before he goes all gun you know trying to make people work together instead of apart (laughs) like i feel like this is one of the gods presentiments like you know how edith says oh the gods know me so well that they know what i'm gonna do but they don't make my choices for me she's helping him explore his own flaws and the, the pitfalls that he's likely to encounter yeah and i guess i guess his own options Mm mm-hmm Which is pretty relevant with this other myth of you need to choose among impossible choices. Yeah, and especially, like, Sophos is 
particularly aligned with this Morpos character because Morpos, like Sophos, is not ambitious. He's not out to distinguish himself. He's forced by circumstance into this situation and he can't get out of it. He has to pick Mm -hmm. something. He just wants to play his pipes. Much like Sophos just wants to build some fucking walls, (laughs) write some poetry. And Morphos's grandfather was welcome in the temple once and he became a bandit. Just like Sophos's uncle was also king. Tiny parallel, I mm-hmm. guess. And later when Sophos and the field hands are talking over like his uncle's retaking the countryside, etc. And I think the other men in the barracks were maybe criticizing his uncle and he narrates, A king who loses turns out not to have been a king at all, but only a usurper. Which kind of... Ties back into the poor story if you're thinking about, like, how is history going to look on kings and what they do? Yeah, and there are no guarantees. Like, they live in a world of divine right, but, like, Mm -hmm. if you are able to successfully win people's loyalty and run the country, then you had divine right all along. Right. Yeah. Even though the gods are actually literally involved. But most people don't know that. (laughs) And on that same page, the men in the barracks are discussing the human conspiracy, which also came up in The Thief. Ambiatis's grandfather was the Duke of Human of the Human Conspiracy, which, according to this, I think Sophus's uncle, he wasn't the first in line, but he had all of his older brothers murdered. Ah, uh, the then... classic suspicious <laughs> deaths of all the brothers. <laughs> and then murdered all of the co-conspirators in one day. So he, so it couldn't be proven that he was involved. So the men in the barracks think he's guilty, and Sophos narrates, I had never had any doubts, nor that my father was involved as well, in exchange for a promise that his son would eventually inherit the throne. So that's also like, if you win, you're meant to be there, but... History is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the image of the wolf in the Morpos story. Um, Morpos... Yeah. He finds this third option, which is to befriend the wolf instead of fighting it. And I, I want to apply that to Sophos and, and make that a metaphor for Sophos. And is it Sophos kind of, like, does he have to learn to make friends with, like, his own ruthlessness? Or it also occurred to me that, is Jen the wolf? Sophos says later, when he's talking to Edis, that um, he likens Atolia to the wolf, interestingly, mm. even though Atolia's not the one calling all the shots in this book. Like, it's said a million times that he's swearing his fealty to Atolis and not his wife, which is interesting. Maybe it's the, like, the broader idea of Atolia as a country. Yeah. Because Atolia could eat Sunus like a yeah. wolf. I hadn't thought of that. And the only way to survive is to, in some sense, allow himself to be subjugated and his people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, to get into the temple, Morphos had to bare his throat to the wolf. So the Morphos story, like this story, is a story of somebody faced with a list of very bad choices. Who ends up... I'm still on top through the power of friendship. <laughs> as on top as he can be. <laughs> through the through the, the dubious power of friendship. I mean, that's true of Jen as well. And, and Sophos does say 
is it in this chapter or is it in the next chapter that he wonders if people always choose the thing that will make them unhappy? Uh, oh, it's the next, the next one, one, I think. Because Jen, but yeah. of course, the choices that he makes are also lose-lose in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and less kind of obviously so than Sophos. Like, Jen's decisions are, like, politically advantageous and emotionally complex. Whereas I think Sophos's decisions are emotionally advantageous and maybe with a political detriment. But also they are politically smart. Like, it's the only decision that he can make, given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. They turn into being emotionally detrimental because because at first he's doing politically what he has to for the country. Yeah. But he thinks he's lost Jen as a friend on a personal level. And all of these stories have the theme of you can't refuse the God's gift Mm-mm. of where you are in life. You don't get to back out of any of it. What I think is so funny is Sophos narrates, these stories always seem to me to have more holes than story. And then he's obsessed with like... With, like, the plausibility of all these stories, like, how could it literally have turned from a hut into a palace in a second, and how could a talking wolf exist, and, like... The temple was in the middle of the forest, and so wouldn't he have noticed if he had gone that far into the forest? <laughs> Sophos! It's a metaphor! It's also, um, Sophos is us. <laughs> yeah. Moment. There's very much, like, a chain of storytelling in these stories yeah. like there's the the ancient myths and Sophos is always thinking of himself as this is like I were a character in an epic poem and then we think of him as being mm-hmm. that kind of story as well and somewhere in an alternate universe someone is looking at <laughs> us Ooh. yeah and Morphos gets told stories by the wolf mm-hmm. and this is the chapter with the dust motes yeah Probably the image that sticks with me the most from this entire book would be the dust motes, other than the gun. <laughs> the gun's a pretty big one. So, with the dust motes, and it's interesting because this is kind of like his first choice. Um, she says, like, the dust motes are beautiful. There are just as many more out of the light, and she starts to move one out. So she's like, kind of asking him, do you want me to move you? And he says, no, thank you. I'm content where I am. Which is in contrast to the next chapter where he's faced with the same choice. So that leads me to the question, do you think, like, in the next chapter when he makes a different choice, do you think in the next chapter he has her divine help that she's offering in this chapter? Because we've talked a lot before about, you know, how much of this story is the characters persevering over whatever and how much of it is divine intervention. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't know who is whispering in whose ear necessarily and like what circumstances of chance might be divinely inspired he does have to make the choice and it doesn't it's not gonna happen for him until he makes that decision but then it does happen for him and you have the and maybe this is incorrect but i have the sense that at any point in time if he had wanted to escape the gods would be with him in that attempt and that he probably would succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think he knows that, which is why he thinks of this whole situation as, like, I have to make a choice about whether I'm going to stay here or not, even though on the surface he has no choice. That's the entire point of the situation. Yeah, I mean, he technically could have tried to escape this whole time. And this is the chapter where, as we discussed in the past 
episode or two episodes maybe he has that whole narrative about like maybe life here isn't super great but I'm happy and I'm not a disappointment and I'm not a failure anymore another thing that I think is interesting another moment is after he is beaten and um, he thinks back to how Eugenides reacted when the mages beat him in The Thief um, and how Eugenides was so angry he wonders he says uh, where I wondered was my wounded pride my outrage my self-respect and it made me think about how Eugenides is never really humbled. Like, hand removal accepted. Mm-hmm. Eugenides is not humbled except in circumstances where he has decided to be humbled uh, as a trick. But, like, Sophos has to grapple with true humility in this book i think and it's in contrast with the uh, i think very kind of self-absorbed self-deprecation that he had had before like i think that wasn't genuine humility and now he's discovering what it is to um really be not wrapped up in himself yeah i think we see that in a bunch of different ways like in this chapter he has that moment of humility he talks about like oh, wouldn't you fight for your baron? And everyone calls him on it. And then he realizes like, oh, it's my fault that all of those servants at my villa died because I wasn't a person they could stand behind. And I'm the one responsible for those deaths. But I wouldn't say that this beating is a moment of humility for him. Mm -hmm. Maybe more like self-realization, I guess. Right after the quote you just read, where was my self-respect? He narrates, nowhere, it seemed... My back hurt. I lay there on my pallet, hoping it would reprove soon and wondering in a distant, unreproachful sort of way if I was any kind of a man at all and decided that I probably wasn't. Gender, jazz hands. Gender. Yeah. Part of Sophus's emotional journey is, you know, at the beginning, he has all these expectations placed on him of like, this is what a perfect man is. This is what a perfect prince is. You are neither of those and you don't fit those criteria. So this, I feel like, is kind of a leftover expectation from that part of his life. But then I feel like his journey is learning not to care about the external expectations placed on him. I mean, he learns to have a sense of his own intrinsic value that's not tied to what other people think of him. Which is what Jen has. I think maybe that that's what Sophos is is envious of Jen having without knowing that Mm -hmm. that's what he sees in Jen. Yeah, he's jealous of Jen's authenticity. Yeah! I think. In this part where he's thinking about Jen, he narrates that after he saw that happen, he thought that angry Jen was like the real Jen. So he watched him afterward, but Jen just went back to his old normal self. So he narrates here, maybe I don't know which Jen is real, Mm -hmm. but his emotions in that moment weren't feigned. Yeah. And there's sort of a paradox with Jen, which is that in order to be able to be as effective a faker as he is, he has to have a very strong immutable sense of self because he, like, his sense of self is not threatened by giving other people a false impression. Whereas, like, Sophos has been his whole life, like, trying to embody other people's expectations of him without developing that gut sense of himself. I think Sophos is jealous of how comfortable Jen is in his own skin. He doesn't care about expectations placed on him, and he's always himself. 
no matter what the consequences are, but Sophos's sense of self is much more absent, I guess. There's so much narration about he feels like he's playing a role, like we were talking about last episode. Mm-hmm. And that's just what his whole life has been. After he gets beaten in Dionysus's place, and I actually just realized there was no you in the name that is Dernis, not Dionys. My brain puts weird letters places somewhere, I guess. So, Dernis is really angry, and it takes Sophos a little while to understand this, but he finally gets it and narrates, Slaves don't do favors for other slaves, because when they already don't have any freedom or any position or any possessions, the last thing they want to do is owe someone else for something else. I think Sophos realizes that he has been lucky in his life to be in a position where he can afford to be brave. What do you mean by brave exactly? Because that's not a word I would pair with Sophos pre all of this. Um, well, exactly. Because he, I think he has looked on the expectation that he should be brave as a burden, not thinking about how other people can't access that. Like, Durney's shouldn't be in a position where he has to just let himself get beat up by a random soldier that he accidentally bumped into on the road, but he has to. And Sophos is, because of his social position, mm-hmm. he can engage with that guy. Or, you know, he, he, he... Yeah. He thinks he can. He thinks he can. Um, and he has never appreciated yeah that before that that the simple uh permission to stand up for himself and others i mean even though like it does he realizes like he he doesn't do it again he 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 knows his quote-unquote place after that um he understands why journeys is upset with him but i think he does maybe realize that because he's been uh, given this position he has to try and deserve it rather than look on it as as something that has been unfairly thrust on him. You mean kingship? Yeah. And just power in general. Yeah, I think so too. Because once he has committed to doing it, he's committed to doing the best job he possibly can. Because he owes it to other people. Sophos starts building walls in this chapter, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not the next one. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He gets promoted to wall building and he's really good at it and he likes it he likes the idea of building something that's going to outlast him for generations Chapter 6. Next time, Sophos's Daring Escape. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at atoliadarchives.tumblr.com. I hope you're blessed in those endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. 